Did I come out of the Pokeball there? I think we changed the intro for this one. I think I come out of a Pokeball there, but we'll see. We'll see if I I, I commit. Welcome to Mise on Smash, the only podcast where we break the Smash Brothers cinematic universe one game at a time. I'm your co-host, Pete Simmons-Hayes. And I'm your other co-host, Simon Lewis Ong. Okay, I've been I've been lying these past few episodes, Simon. This is this is the one I'm excited for. This is the one I've been looking forward to. We're doing Pokemon today. Pete is a massive Pokemon fan, and I have a bit of a confession to make, and that is that I'm a little bit of a Pokemon novice. Really? The first Pokemon game that I ever actually sat down and played was or tried to play was in high school and it was emerald on an emulator and then i also tried to play fire red and i got like one gym in each and most recently i've been playing pokemon shield and i'm like three gyms into that and i know that's a controversial game but in preparation for this episode i played all the way through pokemon let's go pikachu which i don't know if that's a controversial game because i know it I don't think most Pokemon fans have yeah, done that. So. I know it strips a lot of the RPG elements, but I figured it was as close. I would get the story of Pokemon Red and Blue through Let's Go Pikachu. Um, so I figured I would prepare myself. As for my own Pokemon experience, like I played every generation until Gen 4 when one kid in your class decided that Pokemon wasn't cool anymore. If you played Pokemon, you were developmentally stunted. Which Maybe that was true, but so, you know, you stop playing for like eight years or something like that uh then you uh go to college and then it's cool again it's totally cool and you can make friends you could like go up to anyone in the quad and be like pokemon and like yeah so i'm glad to be in that part of my life again i just honestly don't know that much about pokemon compared to other nintendo franchises Um, that's okay because i think we have a pokey expert on the cast this week who might be able to help guide us so let's hear a little bit about john barr John Barr is an L.A.-based writer, comedian, and all-around D-tier personality. His body of work includes dozens of comedy sketches, pop culture blogs, branded tweets, and a college freshman handbook. He has a Twitch channel, which bounces between video game streams and live comedy shows. He previously hosted No Shock Sherlock, a podcast about the trailer for the Detective Pikachu movie. It didn't work. I think it worked. He wrote it didn't work. I think it worked. You can find a backlog of everything John's done, including an impossibly intricate pitch for the Chuck E. Cheese movie on his YouTube channel. You can also find him at John Bar Tweets on Twitter and Instagram. And without further ado, here's John. I will just go ahead and say, like, while we have a moment, like, Simon, I'm pretty sure you and I are, like, similar in age. But you just made me feel like such an old man because I remember getting my first ever Game Boy specifically when emerald came out because i was like mom and dad i just i gotta get this game i gotta get the game where the little guys punch each other with lightning and i remember that being like one of my fundamental like video games yeah for me it was game and watch gallery four Oh, wow. of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> classic. I mean, that's, like me, that's like me saying my number one sonic game was sonic chronicles <laughs> the dark brotherhood <laughs> Which is pretty good, but also makes me not. (laughs) Everyone sleeps on Game and Watch Gallery Four, but that is one of the greatest games on the Game Boy Advance. There's no way of knowing if that's true. Is you're the only one who would know? (laughs) They perfected the Game and Watch formula in that one. It's on the the Wii U Virtual Console. (laughs) John, I have one question for you to start. What 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 is your favorite Pokemon? 
Oh, gosh, my favorite Pokemon. You know, I find myself bouncing between Squirtle and Totodile. You know, I've always been a water starter kind of guy. Uh, Squirtle, he's just so gosh dang cute. Uh, something about that little turtle design gets me going. But then also, I feel like Totodile, uh, I feel like specifically Totodile, not so much for Alligator or Croconaw, but Totodile specifically, I think, hits that sweet spot of like both cute and cool and like vicious and dangerous. Uh, plus he gets Ice Fang in later generations and Blastoise doesn't learn an Ice type move all on his own. So that's a huge tactical advantage. Like I think both Squirtle and Totodile learn Bite. So at least you got the psychic advantage, but that Ice move really makes them leagues apart. You see there, Simon, like just <laughs> the amount of depth with that first sentence. We're in good hands. Man, That's interesting. Man oh, yeah. knows his stuff. <laughs> and then someone on your Reddit asks me anything about Gen 5, and then I just go, ooh, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> Is that black uh, and white? Yeah. Remember, remember when I said the thing about Totodile? That proved I, I'm smart and good, right? Now you. <laughs> so, John, you've got. Right now, you're writing. You're going to pitch us a movie for the biggest media franchise of all time. Uh, which is connected with people all over the world. Why do you think it has connected with so many people? And how do you think your movie is going to bring out that spirit? Oh, gosh. Interesting. I would say a big part of why it connected is because of the wide amount of variance that exists in Pokemon while still ringing very true to a central theme, which is that sometimes kids just like having real cool pets, you know, it's part of the same reason why the cards took off because of the millions of people that are probably collecting those cards, only a small percentage of them were actually learning the rules of the Pokemon trading card game. A lot of people just wanted the binders full of cool holographic cards. I was one of those kids. I think I played one game of Pokemon trading card game and it was with my dad and he absolutely just wrecked me. So I never played it again. But I think it is just that part of the thing where it's like, oh, cool. What if I had like a a pet turtle that just had superpowers. And if you don't like turtles, that's cool. There's a whole, like, two other dinosaurs you could have instead. That's awesome. Uh, and with my movie, I, I tried to uh, hit, hit, a, hit a little bit of that. Also hit at a little bit of the, uh, the let's say, confusing and convoluted uh, politics of having Pokemon fight uh, professionally and just trying to, to figure out a little bit of that. But, you know, I think ultimately it just comes down to having cute little monsters that go right in your pocket. Yeah, and you're, you're something of a, of a first for us on this show um, because for the first time you are pitching a franchise that has already been adapted on the big screen. Um, yes. Both in the anime and in Detective Pikachu, which we know you're a fan of from your... I'm sorry, I'm not sure I'm familiar. What is this? <laughs> what What are your thoughts on Detective Pikachu? I know you did your uh, podcast when the trailer came out, but when you actually sat down and watched the movie, what were your thoughts on Detective Pikachu? Uh, my thoughts on it were, it was a good movie. You know, I, I don't think it was uh, like a great movie, but I also certainly don't think it was terrible. I think it works as a nice like foundational entry into the Pokemon universe, especially for like younger kids who haven't played any of the games because maybe they're not at that age where they're like playing stuff and they're more just kind of like still watching and absorbing culture. Uh, it was one of those things where certainly as an adult who had not played the games, but as you know, played, played the specific Detective Pikachu game, I should say, 
but has played a bunch of Pokemon games, is familiar with the cornerstones of storytelling. I remember watching the first two minutes and going, oh, is, I think I figured out the mystery. And then by <laughs> hour 100, I was like, uh, yep, yep, new. <laughs> so I saw that one coming. And that was a little bit of a bummer, but I only have myself to blame. And that's, again, another one where I'm like, if you, you know, if you're not like a freaking screenwriting major like me and if you're not god bless you uh <laughs> but yeah it was a it was a good movie and do you have a connection to the anime at all yeah i remember by the time i was watching kids wb i think they had moved on to pokemon advanced battle so i had missed the boat a little bit on indigo league but i definitely have you know since gone back and watched indigo league or at least some of it i of course have seen advanced battle and of course, you know, Pokemon was one of the several anime I watched in a bridged series of on YouTube in later <laughs> years, but I don't think we have the time to get into that. Oh, man. When you guys inevitably start your third or fourth podcast about that, yeah, you know, for that. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you back for the, the podcast where we break down a uh, bridged anime series. I'm allowed to say that because I've had two different failed podcasts. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm allowed to make fun of people having more than one. Your seasoned veteran of the, the format. That's right. No one can be not so good quite like me. <laughs> All right. Without further ado, maybe we should um, break the story. Break the story. Let's Absolutely. Break the story. So I'll tell you this right off the bat. There, there are two things that I thought about when approaching this. Uh, first, I'll say of, of all of the Pokemon characters that exist in the Smash Bros. universe, I decided to focus on the Pokemon trainer character specifically, uh, sometimes uh, more colloquially known as Red, though obviously you can name him something different in the games. I decided to focus on him rather than one of the main Pokemon protagonists. And there are two things that I wanted to focus on specifically with this pitch. Uh, the first of which is that I didn't want to do one of the more traditional villains. You know, we've seen a lot of play from Team Rocket or just like general, oh, the eccentric billionaire who's going to kidnap the whatever strongest Pokemon of the latest gen is. So I didn't want to do that. And the second thing is I wanted to stay away from the general moral binary in a lot of the Pokemon media where it's either Pokemon should not ever battle or it's fine for Pokemon to battle because sometimes there are friends. I wanted to see if I could dip away from that a little bit. And so I just wanted to set the scene a little bit for this, uh, this story that I'm going to give you. Okay, quick question, because Detective Pikachu kind of uh, dodged around this by um, aging up their protagonist and not making them like a, real, a Pokemon trainer. Is Red going to be a child in this? Is he going to be 10 years old? <laughs> I'm glad you've asked that, because that's going to be right uh, where we start the movie uh we are starting after the events of pokemon fire red slash leaf green we're actually going to be starting in uh, roughly the time frame of pokemon soul silver and heart gold uh at this point in time red is an old washed up past his prime pokemon trainer which is to say 20 years old you know, at that point in, in the Pokemon universe, you are either a child or you are 40 plus years old. There are there's no in between with Pokemon and especially with Red, you know, someone who became the champion at a very young age, 20 years old. He's kind of done. You know, he is retired from being the Pokemon champion. He's released his champion winning Pokemon to live their own lives. 
And he now lives in Pallet Town with his mother. You know, he's burnt out from fighting everyone who comes for the champion's crown. He kind of feels like his life is conflict without purpose. You know, he wonders if he has any value to society beyond having Pokemon fight on his behalf. Especially because in this universe that I'm pitching to you, uh, Pokemon fighting in that understanding has kind of gone out of style. You know, at this point in time, Pokemon fighting looks a little bit more like what we saw in the movie Detective Pikachu, wherein Pokemon are starting to take more agency in the universe. They're throwing their own humanless Pokemon fighting tournaments. They're forming their own dungeon exploration teams, and they've started to have their own private investigation firms. There are some who feel like trainers are still crucial to the Pokemon fighting dynamic, including current Johto champion Lance, but many humans are more than happy to allow Pokemon to choose what makes them happy instead of humans choosing for them. It's that old adage of, oh, Pokemon, I choose you. No, Pokemon choose for themselves. And that's kind of the world that we start in, and it's a world where Red doesn't quite know where he fits. So with all of this complex sort of political, the political implications of this world, do Pokemon speak or do they only speak with, you know, saying their own names like Squirtle, Squirtle, or can they talk like uh, Meowth in the anime, for example? For sure. They still only say their names. Excellent. For some reason, <laughs> despite years of technological advancements where we've got 30 different types of balls, we've got 20 different types of like cell phones at this point, Pokemon are still only able to say their first names. But what we've seen many a time, uh, notably with Red or with Ash in the anime, is that once trainers reach certain points with their Pokemon, there is kind of that like unspoken understanding, right? You know, you get those moments of like intense eye contact, just kind of mm. listening, hearing what your Pokemon has to say, because they're still very expressive creatures. So it is that kind of element of, you know, it's it's reading what isn't said. You know what okay. I mean? And there's, there's room for intense uh, philosophical debate, I think, in that space for sure. <laughs> exactly because it again plays to the human superiority complex where it's like oh these these creatures can't even say words like minuscule or you know <laughs> they can't say words like confluence <laughs> certainly they don't deserve to make 15 dollars an hour uh sorry i'm bringing the twitter discourse into this but it's <laughs> okay we need that audience <laughs> that's good yeah now now this podcast gets to be of the times which is great i'm sorry i've dated this episode because i don't know when you're going to release this <laughs> Graham's Pikmin movie was a communist manifesto, so we're all oh, perfect. Yeah, we're all oh, yeah. wonderful. That's what we get for like only asking NYU people to do this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Just the most up their own ass stories. It's like, hey guys, I don't know if you listen to this, but I feel like this 20 year old really figured out political ideology when pitching the movie about the video game. That is the NYU experience. It's that and then Donald Glover. Those are the two extremes the Kirby of the dramatic Pol- writing program. <laughs> the Kirby Polko movie will be really good. <laughs> Donald Glover's coming when, on the show next week. So <laughs> when they friggin' hire Donald Glover to play Fire Emblem, oh, it's going to be sick, dude. He's like, Dude, friggin' childish Gambino Marth. Oh. <laughs> anyway, on with the movie. <laughs> All right, so I've, I've set the political boundaries for you. So now I'll dip into the story itself. So one day, Professor Oak comes to Red, scared out of his mind. Oak tells Red that Blue, 
otherwise known as Gary, has disappeared. And in fact, he's the fifth gym leader to disappear over the last two weeks. He knows that Blue is too strong of a trainer to get kidnapped by a regular criminal, seeing as Blue is, at this time, the Viridian City gym leader. So he doesn't trust the police to be able to fix this problem. He only trusts Red. Red tells him he doesn't have any more Pokemon, so Oak presents him with three abandoned Pokemon that he has been watching. A Squirtle, Squirtle. an Ivysaur, and a Charizard to go back out into the world of Pokemon and find his former rival. Obviously and immediately, if you're Red, if you've gone through the experiences that you have and you hear that some kind of criminal enterprise is going on, who do you suspect? Team Rocket. Team Rocket. Of course. Team Rocket. You immediately suspect Team Rocket. So Red goes out to the Viridium City gym, not only because that is where Blue was currently stationed at, but also because it formerly belonged to Giovanni, the Team Rocket leader. He goes there to see if there's any signs that maybe Giovanni had tried coming back. He doesn't find anything from Team Rocket, but he does run into a squad of goons or grunts wearing black robes and blue masks. They send out the usual grunt Pokemon, you know, right? Your Raticates, your Golbats, your Hypnos. But they also send out a fair number of, like, Tentacools and Tentacruels, which is real awkward because those are just, like, larger jellyfish that are just kind of hanging out above water. Never really makes sense. The Pokemon also target red along with his Pokemon. Like, they're not just doing the whole, like, oh, let's have the Pokemon. Like, these Tentacruels are actively trying to get at red's neck. Red manages to cobbled together a defensive strategy with these three Pokemon that he's never worked with, and they manage to chase away all the goons except for one that he tries to grab onto to interrogate. The grunt tells Red there are two more gym leaders that will go missing, and there's nothing Red can do to stop the correction. Before Red can get any more questions in, Lance, the current Johto Pokemon gym champ, Pokemon champion, excuse me, he storms in and he has his Dragonite torch the grunt. Like, full-on manslaughter. Like Whoa. that scene in friggin' uh, Game of Thrones where Daenerys does that to somebody. And because I didn't say a name, that doesn't count as a spoiler. You're welcome. Thank you. You're- we, had, we had someone spoil Mad Men, and we got in a little bit of hot water for it a few episodes. <laughs> yeah, our, one, our one fan sent a very harshly worded letter. I promise you one fan out there, you can watch the entirety of Game of Thrones and be disappointed in it for all of the regular reasons, not because I said a name, and now you know someone dies. Now you just get to watch it and see who dies normally and not be happy about it. Anyway, <laughs> Lance tells Red, He is also investigating this new group of criminals because a sixth gym leader, his protege, Claire, has been confirmed missing as well. Lance believes finding these new criminals and snuffing them out will fluff up his image as the current champion, which functions a lot like a president or a dictator in the Pokemon universe, and will help prove why the human Pokemon trainer binary is still invaluable and needs to continue being a thing as opposed to these humanless Pokemon fighting tournaments. Lance came to investigate the Viridian City gym after discovering a recent raid at Silphco using Team Rocket's old tunnel system and that the company's badge energy amplifier 
had been stolen. Now, this is something from the manga that a lot of folks might not know, but because badges are made of a specific kind of rock, their energy can actually be used in this energy amplifier to do something. Let's say in the manga, it is used specifically to summon Lugia. In this, it may or may not be used to do that. Gotcha. Like I said, I've read four different wikis preparing for this. I went, I went hard on the prep. And just to clarify for non-Pokemon experts, Silphco, they're the company in Saffron City, I want to say. Maybe I might be wrong on that. Um, but they invented the Master Ball. Yes, they invented a few different pieces of technology, one of which being the Master Ball, another which was the Silphscope which allowed right. trainers to be able to see through ghosts and tell that they were usually Gengar's haunters. One of them was a Marowak one time. It's right. just the ghost Pokemon. Gotcha. Okay, so the public opinion about Pokemon battling in general has kind of switched. That's why Lance has to save his image. But if there was like a Pokemon championship battle, how many people would be watching? Oh, at this point, I mean, it's still kind of the popular dominant culture, and that's largely because folks like Lance, the people directly in power, are still propping it up. It would definitely still have a fair crowd, but at this point, there would be underground Pokemon-led tournaments and championships that would also be gaining a lot of uh, traction. Of course, they would be broken up with uh, by police if they were discovered, but that's also part of why they gain a lot of popularity, not only because they're a little bit more you know, ethically supportable because it's like, oh no, these are Pokemon that truly want to fight mm-hmm. and nobody's making them do anything. Uh, but also because it's sort of illegal, you know, it's sort of like prohibition era right, uh, going like, down to speakeasies. Yeah. It's like those Pokemon Coliseum battles. Okay. That's right. for, for Pokemon. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yes. So at this point, Lance asks red to partner up on their investigation. He knows, obviously, Red was the former champion. He'd beaten Lance to become the almost champion because he then had to beat Blue because, of course, that was the whole thing. Red doesn't trust Lance, largely because he knows at this point Lance is sort of this kind of skeevy politician who's relying very heavily on this image that he has value because he's able to be the best at making his Pokemon fight, and that's the exact image Red was trying to move away from after he retired. But he knows that working with Lance is the only way the cops won't screw with his personal investigation since Lance is functionally the president of Johto slash Kanto. So he does agree to partner up. The two travel to Mount Silver, where a prison has been erected for the Pokemon world's greatest criminals, including Giovanni. Neither Red nor Lance trust that Giovanni is blameless in this, since it's clear these new criminals were familiar with the old rocket hideouts to be able to use that tunnel system to mm-hmm. get up into Silphco. Red is apprehensive about returning to Mount Silver, as it's where he's fled to where the pressures of being the champion got to him, and where he released his original team, hoping to offer them better lives and freedom. And it's one of those moments where his new Pokemon, the Squirtle, the Ivysaur, they kind of cuddle up to him because they kind of sense that apprehension. And they're like, hey, dude, you've got this. The Charizard notably does not. And maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? It All does. Right. I don't I don't have to play Koi. You're not watching it. You know I'm, I'm saying it. So it simply must matter. That's okay. <laughs> All right, we're borrowing from a, a few things here. You got the manga, and then you also have, like, 
Ash's Charizard has like a similar sort of cold shoulder to him at first. Four plus wikis. I can't at this point. It is just kind of a question of what did I read in preparation for this podcast, and what has just been sitting in the back of my mind, ready to jump forward. Red and Lance interrogate Giovanni to no avail. It's sort of like that scene in Silence of the Lambs where Clarice tries to show up and get information out of Hannibal, but he's just too busy chilling with his friend, Army Hammer. And that's another (laughs) topical reference. Giovanni claims to have no knowledge of this new group of Pokemon criminals, and he mocks Red specifically for how far he's fallen since back in the day when the two of them were sort of arch enemies. While they argue, the power suddenly goes out across the prison. A video pops up on everyone's Pokegear, featuring a mysterious cloaked figure with red hair and a blue mask. He claims to be the leader of Team Dagon, an organization dedicated to human supremacy. He claims that Pokemon are the worst creatures on the planet, responsible, of course, for original sin, as it was an Ekans that gave Adam and Eve the Apricorn. The leader claims that he will take two more gym leaders before the correction wherein he will exterminate Pokemon and any humans who ally themselves with them. The power outage at the prison leads all the Pokemon world's greatest villains to break out and of course immediately fight Red and Lance. We're talking Team Aqua's Archie, Youngster Joey, that creep outside of the Celadon City Gym. But Red and Lance managed to defeat them. However, when all is said and done, two criminals are missing as they corral everybody back into their cells. Those two criminals are Team Aqua Archie and Giovanni. After leaving, Red and Lance agree to split up. Lance looking for Archie and Red looking for Giovanni. Red's Pokemon point out to him, again, using these kind of nonverbal cues, but just kind of pointing around. They're a weird number of tentacles. Like, Team Rocket really just did kind of rely on the Raticates. You know, maybe they would use a Nido Reno at points, but never a lot of water Pokemon. And with Archie also vanishing, Red realizes there's some sort of weird water focus with these new villains. Considering that, and considering that they are going out and kidnapping a lot of gym leaders, Red worries about his dear friend Misty a gym leader in Cerulean City who may be the next target of Team Dagon. Sure enough, soon after Red arrives to Cerulean to check in on Misty, Team Dagon shows up specifically with their leader. Red and Misty take on the grunts, beat them down easily, but the team leader absolutely works them over. He's just knocking them back left and right. And it's very clear that this specific trainer has very little regard for his Pokemon. This is the guy who's been claiming like, oh, Pokemon are worthless. They're only meant to be tools. And he's using them as such. And unfortunately, he's winning with this strategy. Red calls back his Pokemon before the leader kills him. But because of that, he leaves himself wide open. The leader pops him, knocks him out, and makes off with Misty. What kind of Pokemon does the leader use? That's a very good question. It seems like he's using Pokemon that don't want to be there. That's an important detail to lead off with. Uh, If you want, I can give you the specific six Pokemon he uses. Would that be helpful to you? I would love that. He uses a Gengar, an Omastar, a Polyrath, a Golbat, a Gyarados, 
and a Kingdra. And wow. I will also say Red feels a certain level of recognition with the Gyarados. Mm. Isn't, and isn't that interesting? <laughs> and aren't I smart and good for making that sound? <laughs> <laughs> the guessing game has begun, gentlemen. <laughs> More like the Googling game on my phone. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. I just give you a friggin' like, letter from the, that movie, The Snowman. <laughs> Except that it's in a bomb of snow. I gave you all the clues. Six whole Pokemon? Opposite There's only Jenny. so many. <laughs> I have a question about uh, Giovanni. You got Just, it. I feel like I really like Giovanni as a character, given that I only played through the game in full uh, this week. I, I was drawn to him. Uh, who do you see playing Giovanni? If you, had, if you could cast anyone, who, who plays Giovanni? Oh, boy. I mean, the, the two obvious answer, and I'm not saying this is the right answer. I'm just saying it very easily stands out as Giovanni Ribsy. Okay. Right? Like, that, that just kind of fits a little bit. Um, obviously, you might want an actor with a little kind of a, a, a bit more age and acclaim to him, let's say. And in that regard, perhaps a Brian Cranston, Ooh. a Giancarlo Esposito. Like, mm. both of them also kind of seem like very you know, good choices because it's, again, that kind of, like, dignified horror. Sort of very much like, you know, Hannibal Lecter. If we had a young Anthony Hopkins that we could toss into there, obviously now I think Anthony Hopkins would be arguably a very good choice for Professor Oak. Ooh. I think one of those kind of actors would be very good. A Mads Mikkelsen, perhaps. Mm, Also a good choice, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say as well, like, if you're you're wondering about, uh, you know, Trainer Red... Uh, that one's a little bit harder because I think you got to cast someone that truly has no personality on screen whatsoever. It's sort of like that general conflict you get into when you're adapting a video game where it is kind of like the player character. It's very much an RPG, someone who doesn't talk. You got to find someone that the audience can very quickly and easily imprint onto. Like like a YA, like Maze Runner-esque like, actor. <laughs> yeah, but you got to be careful though, because obviously a big YA star is uh, Noah Centineo, but that guy's got personality. So he, he's not the right pick. You know what I mean? It's got to be someone that's like truly like, I'm talking like at least two levels below a KJ Appa. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay. It's got to be someone that like, I mean, I I, I worry someone like, uh, what's his name? Uh, The friggin' kid from 13 Reasons Why. Like I worry even he's a little bit too much of a name, but that kind of a kid. You know what I mean? Red gets a call from Lance when he eventually wakes up. Lance tells him that he has found Giovanni Zeviscerated body in Mahogany Town. Confused, Red goes to Oak asking for advice. At this point, he's been completely thrown off. His number one suspect has been found just fully dead across the continent, and he just got his ass kicked by a mysterious figure. After telling Oak about all of the information, including those six Pokemon, Oak tells him that there is an ancient Cantonian legend that above all of the classic legendary Pokemon, there's a way to channel the power of eight gym badges to open a portal to other realities and summon dark, powerful, alternate Pokemon. He also tells him that he believes it sounds like that this mysterious Team Dagon leader has used the Pokemon of the captured gym leaders 
as his own personal team and that they, along with their trainers, will be used as blood sacrifices to bring about whatever dark new Pokemon Team Dagon is trying to summon. However, Oak also tells him that this legend has been buried by everyone in charge of the world and the government, folks like Lance, because this dark science is the most horrendous psychological torture possible for any Pokemon or humans used in the ritual. Oak worries that Lance may be the eighth target as the trainer with the most powerful dragon Pokemon. But after learning about all of this information about how there's a evil team called Team Dagon, which just kind of sounds like dragon without an R, learning that this mysterious new leader has a clear, cold disregard for Pokemon, and that they have red hair, Red believes that Lance might just be the leader of Team Dagon, that he set this whole thing up, that that video was pre-recorded, that he went and killed Giovanni because dude hated Giovanni as well since he could never beat him and it took a friggin' kid to beat up the world's most notorious criminal. So all of the pe- Red thinks he's got everything falling into place, right? He believes that Lance is trying to summon this brand new Pokemon as a way to scare everybody into subservience when he takes off the mask and then fights this evil Pokemon, making himself out to be the hero, very much like a a Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home, right? Like he's trying to set up this situation wherein he can be the hero. So when Lance returns to talk over the case, Red just begins fighting him with these three new Pokemon. And immediately Lance snaps and he believes that Red must be the clear villain because he's like, oh, you've always been jealous of me of the way that I was able to handle power the way that you never could. You clearly have just been wearing a red wig this whole time. And now you want to get rid of me so you can finally have that power you didn't know what to do with. And the two just start fighting it out. Both of their Pokemon, starting with Red's new team, stop fighting. They suddenly, they just like, they refuse to do it. And in response, Lance's Pokemon also refused to stop, like, fight. So then it just winds up being Red and Lance just bare-knuckle brawling, punching the heck out of each other, giving into their violent tendencies, and just openly weeping. It's a nice little reversal on that moment in Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back where it's the two Pikachus crying and just slapping each other. It's like that, but it's two grown or a grown man and a twenty-year-old, neither of whom have ever like actually fought because they've just had Pokemon doing it their whole time, just beating the snot out of each other, and it's not pretty. <laughs> just imagine, yeah, just imagine Brian Cranston punching a nondescript twenty-year-old, and that's what we've got going on right here. Nobody likes this. And the Pokemon aren't breaking it up; they're just watching. They're just—it's very clear that like they're just sad. <laughs> they're just sad that, it, you know, it's like that kind of look in their eyes. They're just like these violent bloods have violent ends. You kind of notice like the Charizard again. He kind of like looks away and just kind of like <clears throat> snorts a little bit. He's looking on with disdain. But I have when, a question. Go so, for it. So the earlier you said that the Gyarados that seems familiar to Red, is that Blue's Gyarados? It certainly is. Look at me winning the guessing game. That's. Do you want to guess about any of the other Pokemon? Because I could tell you that too. 
Uh, oh man, I am not as familiar with what all the other trainers had. So you, oh man, that's okay. I, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm just doing my best to flex my wiki knowledge at this point. <laughs> was there an or onyx I'm, in there? Brock had an onyx, and there was, was not an gangs. onyx. There was a Gengar, Gengar. and again, like I'm truly just trying to prove to anyone who (laughs) tries to ask me about Gen 4 or 5 that I do know Pokemon. It's interesting that you brought up Brock because in Pokemon Soul Silver, he does have an Omastar. Ah, Ah. so that's where the Omastar comes from. That's right. Okay. There there were a few reaches because I had a theme I was going for with this, and we're getting close to it, and everyone's going to hate me when I reveal it, but... I just had to, when I, I'm going to be honest, I came up with a villain first and then built my movie around it and everyone's going to be unhappy with me about Wait, it, but I'm going to be stoked. Read, read the poke, read the six Pokemon he's got again. We've got a Gengar. We've got Omastar. We've got Polyrath, Golbat, Gyarados. And then upon kidnapping Claire and Misty, he also utilizes a Kingdra, and a tentacruel. Okay, I thought I was going to be really clever and find out that the first letters of all those Pokemon spelled out something, but it just spelled out like God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) That's a good anagram for (laughs) Ursaring! Oh shoot! He's got a big bear! (laughs) Okay, so he collects Jim... Pokemon, we get the theme. I'm oh, I have oh, I have a guess. Oh, go for it. This is. I will also say we're getting so close to me revealing everything, so I don't just, feel I bad. Guess it. <laughs> go for it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a wild swing based on no evidence and hope it's right. But I think Professor Oak is our main villain. I definitely thought about that. I thought about doing it, but I feel like there's too much of like a familial element. Yeah. Where it's like at the end of the day, this movie does kind of wind up being about Red trying to find a family. And I didn't want to do the thing where it's like, oh, he only finds it through trauma, especially (laughs) because he's already coming off of the inherited trauma of not having a father. Like there's already a lot going against him in that element. But definitely, that's a fair guess. And I I, I thought a lot about it. You're very clearly a graduate of the same (laughs) story writing program. (laughs) I mean, Professor Oak was definitely a badass trainer in his past, right? Like, oh, fully. Just real quick, is this podcast for kids? No, decidedly uh, no. not. Okay, good. Because that gives me full freedom to say that Professor Oak fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Oak, you know it. Like, he was just rolling around with, like, a Charizard, a Blastoise, a Venusaur, and he fucked. He <laughs> fucked, and his Pokemon fucked. And that's why he's got just a whole bunch of just, like, squirrels and charmanders and bulbasaurs to just give out to kids because this pokemon wouldn't stop fucking it's implied he fucks your mom that's right (laughs) my mom personally not in the game where were we (laughs) oh we were playing we were playing the guessing guessing game game. that's right i think well john you're about to reveal it we might that's right and we were we were at the point specifically where lance and and red were just beating absolute piss out of one another as this fight reaches a fever pitch the actual Team Dagon leader shows up. He takes off his mask to reveal he is Silver, the son of Giovanni. Silver says he hates Red and Lance for the same reason he hates his father and Pokemon generally. Beings trapped in a perpetual state of violence that cost him the love of his father. 
Silver believes that by killing his father and then killing Pokemon, he will be freeing the world from the Pokemon combat complex that has shaped it for far too long. He believes that any form of Pokemon fighting is inherently evil because it plays into just non-stop violence. And even if Pokemon are choosing it for themselves, the fact that any humans would want to watch it proves that all humans are inherently bad, and he hopes to begin a new society free of Pokemon. For anyone who doesn't know, Silver is the rival character from the second gen, uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. You could also picture Silver the character from Sonic the Hedgehog, and it would give you the exact (laughs) same anime-ass vibes that I'm going for here. Oh, can you imagine? There was going to originally be a whole subplot where, like, Silver was a clone and that he and Red were actually clones of, like, the same original host. Like, it was going to be very Final Fantasy, but I cut that because nobody needs that. It's simply not necessary. Just know that it's a little red-haired shit that's coming to beat up your favorite Pokemon guys. I think in the film novelization that is done of this movie, that will be left in, I think, that that element Please. that you just described. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving that, yeah. It's like, oh, wait, Red used to be Master Chief? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to wake up. Oh. Silver thanks red though for beating giovanni in a handful of battles while still not doing anything to stop the direct influence team rocket had in kanto's government or economy because by doing that it gave silver the chance to actually affect change in the world undoubtedly for the worse and undo both giovanni and red's legacies in one fell swoop not only getting rid of the corruption that giovanni had been party to but also revealing Red to be someone that accomplished absolutely nothing when all was said and done. Silver pledges to get rid of Pokemon, and with the help of Archie, who's wrangled up truly hundreds of tentacles <laughs> off screen, he uses, and here, here's the part you're going to be mad at me about, he uses that whole mess of tentacles, the badge energy amplifier, the eight gym badges he's collected, and the specific eight Pokemon, the eighth being Lance's Dragonite, to combine, mega evolve, and gigantamaximize them into the ultimate legendary beast, Tentacathula. <laughs> and we let that one wash over the crowd a little bit. Everyone tells me to go fuck myself in their homes. They they look up where I live so they can come tell me to go fuck myself in real life, and I tell them they're right. But you know, you know it's crazy. This isn't the first podcast John has pitched this on. <laughs> I've been trying for I want to say five years generously. I will just show up to various people in Hollywood. I'll knock on their doors and I'll just say Tentacathulu, <laughs> and I've been beaten up so many times, but it hasn't stopped me. Well, we're really glad that you finally made it onto our show because we can't argue with what you pitch as canon. So Tenta Cthulhu is officially in the movie and uh, officially the main villain. So I assume Cthulhu is who you were on Villains Wiki for. No, I was fully just on Villains Wiki for Silver, just looking oh. up his background information to see just what more I could gotcha. gleam. Uh, also, Team Dagon, obviously Dagon is a reference to an actual cult in the world of Lovecraft. 
Uh, so I was also on there looking up that, but I kind of had to figure right. out ways because like, especially in the manga, there's, I forget, I think he's called the ice masked figure where it like turns out to be price from soul silver, where he's kind of like an interim villain in between the events of red and Sil- uh, silver, where it's like, he's sort of like pseudo team rocket. until so eventually I think it's petrol that takes a, It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole, th- I read too much, quite <laughs> frankly. For all the people that want to do fan art out there, what can you describe? Yeah. What walk us through Tenta Cthulhu a little bit? Yeah, well, I I chose those eight Pokemon specifically because it kind of hits at the uh, you know general uh, ennui of Cthulhu, right? It's this dark nightmare being. That's where the Gengar comes in, right? It's a being that can quite you know come into your dreams and eat them. Uh, very kind of like ancient water cosmic type being where it's you know this towering figure uh with tentacle like imagine like essentially a tentacle uh parked atop a kaiju's body right it's got kind of like the big golbat slash dragonite wings where it's like sort of a dragonic figure but also very clearly kind of like a dark poison type if you had to put it more into pokemon terms it's like very much this towering legendary figure that is specifically made up of tentacles, tentacruels, and nightmares, and human cruelty and Pokemon cruelty. So he has just come into being as the combination of all of these, of those six Pokemon plus all of these tentacruels, and Red and Lance are just left, I mean, are left there. What do they do next? Absolutely. Well, uh, unfortunately, Lance has kind of been uh, shackled up alongside the other seven trainers. Right. Uh, The gym leaders specifically, uh, just kind of watching on in horror as his Dragonite, his kind of prized possession, and in this moment of watching it be kind of coalesced into this giant nightmare figure, Lance realizes this is actually a Pokemon he considers a friend. That's a very Mm -hmm. existential moment for him. Red, meanwhile, is despondent. You know, it's sort of like that moment in anime where the main character just kind of falls to their knees and just kind of stares out vacantly. He is faced very conclusively with the evidence that all of this work that he had put into in becoming the Pokemon champion, his kind of life's work, was truly for nothing. He's just been told off about how everything that he had done to kind of be this good guy meant nothing in the world and now he is powerless to stop watching because he let go of his prized pokemon specifically because he knew deep down in his heart this entire time that he was always in the wrong so he's just kind of watching on however his three new pokemon the squirtle the ivysaur and the charizard they pop out of their balls to stop tentacthulhu from hurting red And in this moment, the Charizard and the Red make very specific, meaningful eye contact, which I brought up in the beginning. And Red has a moment of recognition where he realizes that this Charizard is a member of his former championship team. He let go of this Charizard because he thought there was no world in which this Charizard would ever want anything to do with him because he was always, you know, felt like he was using him as a pawn. But what Charizard kind of manages to communicate is that Charizard, he was born to be a fighter. You know, he was born to be scrappy. He's kind of like Rocky Balboa, you know? 
He is just kind of one of many other Charizard, Squirtles, and Bulbasaurs that the professor had because his original Pokemon wouldn't stop fucking. <laughs> but this this Charmander, which has grown up, he wants to fight. He was happy that Red gave him this opportunity. He never believed there to be this like cruel dichotomy, especially because throughout the entirety of Red's journey, there were always people like Blue. There were always people like Giovanni who were very clearly only using their Pokemon as tools. And this Charizard specifically agreed to work with Red once again because he knew that he cared and because he knew that there would be a way to reach through to Red and reach an understanding where the two of them could finally get back on even ground. And with that meaningful eye contact, they do the friggin' uh, Schwarzenegger and uh, Weathers handshake from Predator. Red gets up. And he gives advice to his Pokemon about what to do. He this is very maybe you know, use water gun. <laughs> it's specifically like he's if not like want. all right, use water gun. He's like, hey Squirtle, try distracting Tentacathulu. <laughs> and Squirtle jumps into the water, starts swimming around, and starts trying to like swim through the mass of tentacles. Right? It's sort of like that scene in uh, Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. where it's sort of like, oh, if we kind of get like various tentacles inside, they start swimming against it, kind of threatens the stability of this Tentacthulian figure. Meanwhile, Ivysaur uses his vines to try and hold back Tentacthulu's arms, so that way he can't just go on, like, wreaking havoc and he can't utilize any of his, like, hand-based moves. And then Charizard wrecks the badge energy amplifier. He's specifically not fighting the giant Pokemon. This is a moment of growth for him, where he's like, oh, sometimes there's more important things than just proving my own machismo. So he destroys the badge energy amplifier, our big blue sky beam, and destroying the machine means that Tentacthulu reverts back to a pile of useless-ass tentacles and the eight Pokemon who have fealty already to their trainers. So Red uses his new Pokemon to free the other trainers and just wreck the absolute shit out of Silver. They don't kill him because that's immoral, and Lance learns that, but they lock him up in his father's former cell. The ultimate defeat for Silver. Oh. In the wake of Team Dagon's terrorist attack, new legislation is signed into law somewhat begrudgingly by Lance. Humans can still train Pokemon, but now Pokemon are allowed to have full agency over whether they battle, what moves they use, and what tournaments they take part in. This way, humans can still help Pokemon learn how to fight and earn their own acclaim, but Pokemon will be fully in charge of what they actually do with that knowledge. And with that, Red decides to create a Pokemon Dojo, similar to what we see in Saffron City, where he trains kids and Pokemon alike on how to get better at defending themselves, but also how to form bonds with each other. It's sort of uh, similar to a Cobra Kai situation, where it's only partially about the fighting, but also partially about the friends you make along the way. His new Pokemon also stick around as both fellow teachers and family members for Red. So now Red is there with his Squirtle, his Ivysaur, and his Charizard ready to stand in the background and support them should they ever come into a context (laughs) wherein they wish to fight. And that is the end. Wow. Wow. What a gift. Oh, my God. And the good news is, as well, to any future Pokemon pitchers out there, 
I've very clearly set up that there are alternate Pokemon universes. So if you listen to this episode back and you say, well, I don't fucking want to do any of that. Good news. You don't have to. You can just fully say, no, I'm part of a different Pokemon universe because there is a an independent Pokemon multiverse that exists because of the terrible machinations of Team Dagon. So technically, Tenta yeah. Cthulhu just saved your ass. Yeah. For a second... I thought you were going to do Ultra Beasts. That, that's what it looked like it was going to for a second. Oh, sure. It's just Digimon. <laughs> <laughs> he combines all the eight Pokemon, and it's Dark Magician Girl. <laughs> oh, the Yu-Gi-Oh crossover. I'd be all over that. I was a huge Yu-Gi-Oh kid. Oh, that was um, my abridged series. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff to break down there, and it, it was a, a great pitch that also luckily doesn't, I feel like it... it it hands the Super Smash Bros. Brawl set up to us uh, quite nicely. So I appreciate that because some of our previous pitchers have been a little mean about <laughs> the continuity difficult for us. Of course. Yeah, no, listen, this is your show. I wanted to pitch a movie that I was proud of, but also make sure that it actually set the stage for what the heck you two are trying to do. You know, Like I said, I worked backwards from knowing, all right, I want this very dumb villain but I also want to make sure that this podcast makes sense. I, and then I built a story. Penta Cthulhu is a very smart yeah, villain. I don't I was, know what you're talking I'm about. I'm going to say, John, whoever has told you in the past that Tenta Cthulhu is dumb or can't be a thing, I say fooey on them because, aha, uh-huh. <laughs> take that me and sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> Try staring down at me with condescension now. I think we're bringing back Tenta Cthulhu, and I think he should come back in like a Fire Emblem game a movie or like a. Uh, Master Hand is gonna need some lackeys. <laughs> He'd be great to show up just like randomly in Final Fantasy. Cloud has to fight Tenta Cthulhu. Oh, totally. <laughs> I I kind of just want to write a letter to the Pokemon Company, make him a mystery <laughs> gift. Does Does Tenta Cruel ever Mega evolve? Does he have a? No, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, and I was kind of memeing about it a little bit, but a lot of people kind of write off Tentacool, Tentacruel, because, you know, it is sort of this sinister-looking Pokemon, but at the end of the day, having the water poison dual type doesn't do a whole lot for you. Mm -hmm. And it is largely just kind of a Pokemon that is used by fishermen, where their whole thing is just like, hey, we're sort of like the guys that give you rods, except we just have tentacles and magic harps that you farm for xp easily in the first season of pokemon when they were like doing weird stuff and they didn't know there's going to be like another one there is like a giant tentacruel that destroys a whole city i remember that it's in the opening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's in the opening like like people die the whole city is destroyed um oh i remember that yeah yeah. Again, this must have been subconscious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, again, it's paying tribute to this this kind of kaiju iconography right. that is just, you know, running rampant in Pokemon specifically, just kind of these shows and these universes that are set around fantastical creatures. It's only natural that you're eventually going to have giant Lovecraftian nightmare monsters as well. Right. I'm super impressed you didn't use one legendary. You made your own. And I think it's I think it's past legendary at that point. It's it's something else. Oh yeah. Well, especially because a lot of the legendaries are used as like trophies in Super Smash Bros. Where I was like, all right, there's gonna be a whole weird thing if it's like, oh, this I've chosen Entei and he's the strongest Pokemon ever. He's gonna steal your mom. He's crazy. And then in the Smash Bros. crossover, it's like, yeah, he's just a guy. He's just kind of a guy that, like, some of the other guys can maybe call on. I was like, that's kind of, 
you know, he could maybe be like a minor villain like Archie was, but like he can't be the main guy. That'd be crazy. With this continuity approaching, I feel like it's served to us on a silver platter uh, almost. <laughs> well, I feel like, I, feel like I, I have with. OK, so let's move into continuity approaching. I have a pitch. So the big thing that we need to set up with Pokemon before heading into our first Super Smash Bros crossover are Pikachu and Jigglypuff because we're, mm. we're planning on using them and they didn't show up explicitly in your pitch but I have I have an idea for how we could work them in because you didn't explicitly say who Red's championship team was what if Pikachu and Jigglypuff were on that team alongside Charizard and when Red lets them go on Mount Silver, Pikachu and Jigglypuff, for whatever reason, they're particularly close and they go off together, perhaps. That could definitely be one. I certainly don't have any qualms about it. I would say an alternate version is perhaps, uh, because I've set up just loosely, that there are kind of these Pokemon-led independent fighting tournaments. Perhaps Pikachu and Jigglypuff are two just particularly strong Pokemon that have been making the rounds in their own right already maybe we see him kind of pop up at the very end of the climactic mm-hmm. battle with the other mm-hmm. gym bat you know gym leaders popping in to help as well but we could kind of say that maybe those are kind of like not legendary pokemon but perhaps pokemon legends in right. the underground pokemon led fighting scene is mount silver the battle is that the battlefield where Red goes up against the protagonist in silver it is where the protagonist goes up against red in silver Okay, so that's where he has sort of that crushing defeat where he's just waiting for challengers at the top of that mountain. How soon after that defeat does he, like, give up Pokemon? I'm thinking it's soon after, especially because just from a logistical standpoint, there needs to be time for him to be there, suffer that defeat that's kind of like the nail in the coffin for like, yeah, I don't want to keep doing this. And thankfully, losing once means that I can now say like, oh, yeah, I got beaten, so I'm allowed to leave. And then he leaves, and then there's an uh, amount of time for a whole prison to be built there. <laughs> okay. Because if that's the case, um, we can we can go in a lot of different ways on which red this is, but if we do like the Pokemon yellow approach where Pikachu is his first Pokemon, it could be a thing where, you know, Pikachu, Pikachu takes pride in being Red's first Pokemon. You know, it's like an Ash Ketchum thing. When he loses that battle on the mountain and there's sort of a shift in Red and he gives up Pikachu, that could, that could be that same Pikachu where it's sort of like chasing that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't strong enough. And maybe he's following Red throughout this journey or something. I don't know. And we can do the best of both worlds here. I mean, I think the Pikachu could have been on Red's team and then the Jigglypuff could be... The, the legend in the underground fighting community, especially yeah. because there's it, there's no way on earth that Red made it through the Elite Four with a Jigglypuff on his team. If we're being completely honest, you could honest. do an entire Sin City type thing where maybe like <laughs> Pikachu is like the grizzled type, where he's just like lusting after this Jigglypuff who's like a singer and she's like popular, <laughs> but like she's going to become part of the conflict and she's also way way too young for Pikachu, <laughs> and it's never explicitly stated, and it becomes very clear that the author didn't think that was an issue, but it's all you can think about when you watch the actual 20-year-old have to kiss this actual 50-year-old. You start going like, oh no, bud! Okay, I have a pitch because Pikachu, so Pokemon Trainer shows up in Brawl, so that's a little further away than Uh all these other ones. So we could have a separate, 
we could have a separate pitch for these two almost like like a hey you pikachu movie yeah. almost like we can we can give that to someone else and they can do that work for us maybe yeah, yeah i was i was hesitant to touch too much on pikachu in this especially because of the detective pikachu movie that just came out especially in trying to focus a little bit more on red obviously pikachu is a pokemon that is tied very strongly to ash mm-hmm. more so than red because i think that's part of where like the divergence between the games and the anime came in uh, so yeah i think there's a lot that you can kind of say as far as pikachu maybe being more like a uh if we're comparing it to Marvel, maybe perhaps Pikachu is more like your Bruce Banner slash Hulk, where if you wanted, you could kind of say like, maybe he doesn't have his own movie yet, but he's just kind of like a known quantity because you have to rework his character. Right. And if we've, if we've already been introduced to the world of Pokemon, how necessary is it to be specifically introduced to a Pikachu that's being brought on board for the team? If you need me to write a whole other Pikachu movie <laughs> prompt by tomorrow, I'll do it. I don't know how I'll make Tensa Cthulhu also part of it, but I'll make it work. <laughs> Our new requirement is that anyone who comes to pitch has to, Tenta Cthulhu has to be in the pitch. Tenta Cachucho or something. Oh, no. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I'm, I'm I have no room to talk, but come on, man. <laughs> no, I'm going to react to that the way that you seem, that you say everyone has reacted to Tenta Cthulhu. I'm, <laughs> I'm disgusted by Tenta Cthulhu. <laughs> I don't know if it's a train or just two Pikachus. <laughs> I think it's part... Cthulhu. It's a train, did you say? <laughs> well, because it's a choo-choo. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like fucking eight Pikachus that are all tied together. <laughs> with a Thomas face. No, it's like, yeah, Thomas, Thomas the, the Tank Engine, engine but it's just Pikachu. It's like one of those memes yeah. where he's just screaming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry, did I blow out the speakers? I'm sorry, noise warning. Honestly, so many of the questions I wrote down were in anticipation of a, a pitch that was more closely an adaptation of, of Pokemon Red. And I'm really glad it didn't go down that path. You because thought was, you were going to fucking get me, didn't you? Well, yeah, <laughs> because I, I, and I'm so glad. because I was. You think you can fucking get me, dude? You think you can back me into a goddamn corner? <laughs> I like the idea of setting up Jigglypuff in an after, like maybe an after credit scene as like a legend in the underground Pokemon fighting community, but I I think I'm okay with keeping Pikachu out of it. I think Pikachu is so high. You're right, John, that Pikachu is so high profile, so tied to the anime. There's like, you know, really similar to Detective Pikachu, just so high profile that I feel like to, to drop him in this story that's really about Red would be the wrong thing to do. But I think a Jigglypuff tease is wouldn't be too distracting. Yeah, it's it's the struggle of Pokemon because especially in a game franchise like Smash, obviously there are some games where only one character, like the protagonist, is lifted. But obviously with Pokemon, you've got a lot of these fantastical creatures. So it's like, yeah, we have Pokemon Trainer. We also have Pikachu and Pichu and Jigglypuff and Lucario and Incineroar. I think Greninja gets at it. So I was just mm-hmm. like, hey, listen, let's let's leave it open, especially because Lord knows, you know, if and when they make another game, how many of the freaking Pokken tournament characters are also going to get brought into us. It's a whole hodgepodge of too many characters. I want I wanted to keep things focused. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if this Jigglypuff is like so into fighting, maybe when Jigglypuff sees this Tentacathilu, maybe it wants to fight it immediately. And it like goes after, but like as it's going there, it's like sucked into that portal that Tentacathilu just came out of. And 
is you lost know, in the multiverse. It gets lost in the multiverse and just pops out at Super Smash Brothers 1 or something. No, it'd be your uh, Avengers Infinity War moment where Jigglypuff is floating through space and all of a sudden like crashes into the windshield of the R-Wing. So I think there's a lot of potential for for that. We have villains from like different regions. You know, we have people from Hoenn and stuff, but they're all at Mount Silver, which kind of implies that there's like an overarching pokey government that controls the world. Oh yeah, and this is this is part of when I was a teenager and I thought I was going to do this whole Pokemon Nuzlocke fan fiction comic where I just came up with a bunch of expansive Pokemon world lore. I had always kind of seen uh, Kanto slash Johto, since the two are connected, as kind of the like most legendary hallowed ground of the Pokemon universe, whereas, you know, Hoenn was the more kind of like industrial type, Sinnoh was the more kind of like up and coming something to prove type area, and then Unova, who even freaking cares about Unova, right? Uh, and honestly, Unova would probably be the realm more of like the more stringent religious folks because obviously that's the region with like Team Plasma. So I always figured that like Kanto slash Johto being kind of the home of the most legendary folks would kind of be the perfect place to put them because then it's like, oh, there's going to be the most defenses all around. Okay, that tracks. Unova is actually America. So if anyone wants to... Did, oh uh, no! Yeah. So if anyone wants to, <laughs> oh no! Take on that. Yeah, it's based on Manhattan, right? Yeah, at least like oh the major gosh. city in it. Please gosh. tell me there's a lot of Pokemon watching over the Unovan inauguration. That's that worried. game's arguably, arguably like the most political one. So maybe that's why. I don't that, think anyone played Pokemon Black and White, from what I've heard, at least. Only the people that like make Pokemon videos on YouTube, like like it's like the real hardcore people that play that's, that one. That's the one that I only played about two to three gems of before it, I was like, no, I get it, but I think I'm truly in this for the nostalgia. It came pretty late in the DS's life cycle, I think, is part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I guess, because they did black two and white two, but then the mm-hmm. next and I mainline think, Pokemon game would have been X and Y. Yeah, and I think black two and white two actually came out after the 3DS had already launched. Oh, so interesting. They were like, yeah. Yeah. They were like the last games, I think, released for the DS. Last that being said, the music from those two games, bops. The only song that I think of definitively when I think of Pokemon, for better or inevitably for worse, is the Pokemon Trozy commercial music. That's fascinating because one of the ones that I think of is the commercial music for Poke Park 2 wonders beyond uh which okay. goes book a park to wonders beyond something 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 the great pond i don't know that's oh so that one rhymed see i think part of why the chosen yeah. one stuck in my mind is because it didn't rhyme and it pissed me off because they were just like mm. pokemon trozy four in a row and you're good to go and i was like no you can't do a b c c <laughs> that's ridiculous it can do a b c b Perhaps, <laughs> but to just exclusively do A, B, C, C, you're leaving that completely unresolved B? Go fuck yourself, Pokemon. <laughs> I love that this one went first because, like, the, I'm sure, like, the next Pokemon person we get, like, they're just going to be, like, a diehard, just, like, traditionalist, and they're just going to be like, yeah, Charizard put this other one in a headlock, and everyone was told what to do. Listen, you know, at, at this point, I was just like, look, we got to focus in on the fact that the player specifically controls the three Pokemon, but Red is still there. Mm-hmm. Somehow Red's got to be in the picture, but also not in the picture. He's, like, the guy but it's about the Pokemon. So it was, it was a lot of, and that's part of why I asked you guys specifically if I could focus right. on red, because I I was happy about the challenge of having to right. make all that work. 
And 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 it's great because of course in Smash Four, Charizard appears entirely without the Pokemon trainer there, so it gives us liberty to to work with that. Oh, yeah, Charizard could get a spinoff. How about that? Old man Charizard. Wow. Charizard Wandavision. <laughs> Wanda Charizard. Charizard is walking Wanda's in with Seinfeld Charizard. music. <laughs> Can you imagine a '50s sitcom starring Charizard? Charizard finally learns English and his first words are no more mutants. <laughs> <sighs> well, right, thank John. you so much for coming on, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. As always, none of this would be possible without some amazing remixes by some very underappreciated musicians. Here are the credits so you can listen to these jams without us talking over it. The Pokemon theme song lo-fi hip-hop remix comes from ohio beats jay Faferi music did a bunch of music he did the professor oak speech route 24 theme orchestrated he did the battle versus red slash champion lance theme orchestrated he did the pokemon red and blue orchestrated self code theme and he also did the professor rowan lab theme luga gigas did the pokemon deoxys battle theme the pokemon dark ride battle theme and the pokemon viridian forest theme Dr. Pez did the Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald Elite Four Battle Music cover. Light Umbreon did the Mount Silver remix. Eric C. the Piano Man did the Pokemon Diamond and Pearl Approaching Champion Piano Etude. The Trainer Red epic remix comes from DJ the Fishhead. And Cunning Fox did the Pokemon Black and White Emotion Remastered. The Pokemon Gotta Catch Em All orchestral cover comes from Fruity Picks. BK Nap did the Root 216 Pokemon Diamond Hip Hop Remix. Glitch X City did the Sea of Time Remix, the Pokemon Red and Blue Silphco Remix, and the Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver Root 47 Remix. BK Nap did the Root 216 Pokemon Diamond Hip Hop Remix, the Pokemon Diamond and Pearl Lake Hip Hop Remix, and the Pokemon Snap Cave Hip Hop Remix. And a special shout out to Vanillix Pavilion, who did like a hundred songs and we couldn't fit them all in but they're amazing so please check them out yeah his youtube channel is just filled with awesome pokemon remixes and we used uh, a lot of them here so definitely check them out because uh they're all awesome the sound effects in this episode come from the super smash brothers series the pokemon series the pokemon anime and freesound.org check us out on our website at misensmashpod.podient.co and on our twitter at misensmashpod you can find us at our personal twitters at simon lewis ong and at p simmons hayes thank you so much for watching and join us here again next week yeah see you later